everybody and welcome to the Cana Rinse Podcast, Volume 8, Issue 366. Today we're going to be talking about the magical land of Pony Island. You can play along with the show. We've got some all kinds of crazy different games coming up from various parts of gaming history. We've got Doom, the 2016 game, in our next show. After that, it's Persona 5. If you haven't started that one by now, you probably should. After that, we're going to cover Disney's Aladdin, the games from around the time of the release of the uh, animated feature in uh, 93, I think it was 92, 93, uh, and the Super Nintendo and Mega Drive games that went with that. After that, we're going into the early analog era, sort of, uh, at least on the PlayStation, with Ape Escape. And then following that, it's back to a series we started a long, long time ago, the much-anticipated sequel, Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. CanaRinse.com is the place to go for the full schedule up to the end of the year and everything else we do or links to those places, including our shop and our YouTube channel and all that stuff and the forum and some articles as well and features. Uh, you can get every show that we do, every Cana Rinse podcast, a week earlier than non-subscribers by donating just a dollar a month or more if you prefer, but a dollar a month will get you there and that's less than 80p, less than 0.9 euros, which is pretty uh, fantastic value if I do say so myself. Patreon.com slash Cana Rinse. You can get a few other bonus treats as well. We also have a PayPal button on the website if you want to just throw us money uh, for the sheer hell of it and the good feeling you get inside we also have other podcasts because we don't know how to stop making things sound of play comes out every wednesday it's video games music play right thursdays we invent new games and the sausage factory fridays we interview the creators of actual real games subscribe review and rate to all of the podcasts if you wouldn't mind, wherever you get your podcast from and follow us on social media. If you don't already, we've got a Facebook page. Give it a like. We've got an Instagram, Doohickey, and a Twitter, of course. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 366 are Brian Edwards. Hello. Charlotte Cutts. Hello. And Jacob Geller. I'm Louie. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> does, does, Louis, Louis doesn't speak. <laughs> that's how he sounded in my head. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that's not yes. The the Mikhail Crowder school is to actually uh, come out with a vocal a vocal sample from a game, but uh, but you've just come out with some of your own internal monologue. <laughs> it's my head cannon. Yeah, I'm going to issue a spoiler warning right up front for this. Although it's possibly, I mean, it's a weird one, isn't it? I think it, I think it is good to go into this game knowing as little as possible. But I did notice that. On the Steam page, where you go to buy this game, it's pretty much uh, it's, it's the place to buy this game on PC or Mac. The little description says, Pony Island is a suspense puzzle game in disguise. You are in limbo, trapped in a malevolent and malfunctioning arcade machine devised by the devil himself. It is not a game about ponies. So it's not a complete stealth mission in the same way that Frog Fractions was or arguably Undertale. Uh, it's you know that your expectations based on the title are going to be subverted. Having said that, when I first heard of this game, I thought, oh, Pony Island, it's one of those games. Uh, that won't be for me then. Uh, we'll come on to our histories. Peer behind the rotting curtain of Pony Island to repair its broken code, be forced to play along with the devil's demented game of ponies, explore the depths of the cryptic software system that runs his game. That's from the wikia. Uh, it's developed by a man a young gentleman called Daniel Mullins, 
produced under the Daniel Mullins Games bracket. Uh, it was developed primarily during a 48-hour Ludum Dare in December 2014, in which the theme was the entire game on one screen. And it does sort of cheat that a little bit in the finished product, but mostly it does all take place on a screen. Uh, inspired by the positive reception to the game jam, Mullins prepared the game on his time off from his regular day job for release through Steam Greenlight, Greenlight and subsequently published the game in January 2016, published himself. He wanted to create a game that defied players' expectations from standard game interfaces and flipping them upside down. Mullins had been intrigued with games that are dark and mysterious, but also wanted to create something that felt like it was not meant to be played. Part of this last goal was accomplished by minimising the amount of instruction that the game provides, particularly once the player begins to reveal the internal workings. These systems are built on familiar interfaces so that the player will have intuition on what to do. For instance, double-clicking on icons to open them up or type into a chat window, that kind of thing. Uh, Pseudo-code sections of the game... Uh, he found adding iconography for locks and keys for the commands would uh, help players understand how to interact with the code. And at the same time, Mullins wrote this pseudo code to make the programming commands seem ominous so as to make the player seem like they were toying with the system that one might not fully understand. Uh, he also added fake error screens and messages through the Steam software that appeared to come from players' friends to further the unease that he wanted the players to feel while playing the game. So, yeah, uh, that kind of that's from Wikipedia, by the way. And that is a kind of spoiler. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the actual Pony Island game is there is a website called PonyIsland.net. Obviously, one of the things I do when I put these shows together is I just Google the name of the game and see what comes up, see what articles, what features. And for a little while, I thought this PonyIsland.net was some kind of secret <laughs> part of the meta. <laughs> Uh, have you been there? Have you had a look at this? I, my my entire evening last night was ruined. I guess is the word. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I um I went down. It's a, weird, isn't oh, it? Oh boy, it's bizarre. Uh, but yeah, I, it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around whether or not um has anything to do. I don't believe it has any connection to the I don't game. Think so based on some of the detailed entries <laughs> in some of the legendary ponies, I spent longer than one should probably spend on that <laughs> site um, poking around. I couldn't find any connection, but it was um, it's worth a look. <laughs> if just you know, if you're just can you explain a little bit more about PonyIsland.net? We might as well make this a double game show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so so PonyIsland.net. No, um, it it seemed to be. There seemed to be a way that you could register and make your own pony to then try yes. to breed with other ponies on the site to create new mm -hmm. ponies. And there's this hall of legends and there's these point values that I do not understand of how you even attain these points. I have a feeling that if you started scratching a little bit deeper below the surface there, there might be some sort of uh, some undercurrent of... of uh, mm -hmm. It's a pony thing. It's a brony thing. Yes. Possibly. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's possibly a, a furry thing. Possibly also developed by Satan. <laughs> yes. One's never yeah. sure. I mean, what I saw looked vaguely like it might resemble Neopets, but not yeah. like Neopets at all. Right. I mm. kind of looked and then thought, mm, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. It was like something might be nefarious there, but I didn't go far enough down the line to find out. And I'm, I, I, I think I'm, I like the space I'm in with PonyIsland.net right now. <laughs> <laughs> You've got an account now, yeah? No, no, no. I mean, not that I'm telling anybody about, but. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Pony, PonyIsland.net covered the pony breeding game. You can check it out. It looks like it's free to play anyway. So, <laughs> um, whereas uh, the, the main game we're covering, Pony Island, is, uh, is like $5 or five quid. 
Daniel Mullin said to Gama Sutra, I was always intrigued by the idea of poking around at something dark and mysterious, and I like the feeling of playing something that feels like I wasn't supposed to play it. Tech Raptor asked Daniel, what games inspired the creation of Pony Island? Daniel said, I took great inspiration from The Binding of Isaac in the way that it used Christian demonology to create a creepy, mysterious atmosphere. The sarcastic dialogue of Lucifer is definitely inspired by Portal's GLaDOS as well as the various ways he toys with you. Although Undertale came out more than halfway through development, I did take inspiration from some of the methods it used to subvert player expectation. It was co-designed with Daniel and uh, Simon Jenkins. Daniel Mullins did the art and the writing as well. And the music is composed by Jonah Senzel. It's made in Unity and it came out on PC and Mac worldwide on January 4th, 2016. Reviewed. Uh, well, not that many places reviewed it, but those that did really liked it. Uh, I don't know if there were any majorly dissenting reviews, but the average review score was a very healthy 86%, including IGN's 9 out of 10. It's a self-aware indie gem with an anarchic sensibility where anything can happen. Jim Sterling gave it 9.5, saying it's bloody genius. And Rock Paper Shotgun said, this is a game that had me both laugh out loud and exclaim to my monitor how smart it was being. So there we go. That's why we're covering it. Uh, and somebody put it on the list. And so here we are. But Brian, were you an early Pony Island adopter? Obviously you were with the game, you know, the, the, you're a big fan of PonyIsland.net. Yes. Uh, but what's your history with <laughs> yes. Pony Island, the game? Uh, actually, I, I didn't know much about Pony Island, the game. Uh, up until uh, a little less than a year ago, I I've never really owned a gaming PC, PC or 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 PC, how humans say it. Um, <laughs> and uh, you don't need one for Pony Island. No, really, not really. Uh, but so I, I I only really have a Steam account that's that's a few years old. So um, I do most of my work on a Mac because I, I write music on it. So I am always searching for games that are uh, playable on Mac, on Steam. And Pony Island was on a list that I had had uh, for the last couple of years as something that seemed up my alley. And then I saw it on the spreadsheet for Kane and Rinse. I'm like, oh, I'm going to check that out. So I downloaded it in a Steam sale maybe a year ago, not knowing about this podcast or that I was going to be on it. But it sat on my Steam, uh, in my Steam library unplayed. So I really only started playing it for the show, but even though I had owned it for a while. And I went in relatively blind. I had read the, the Wikipedia description you said earlier, so I, I did know that it wasn't a game about ponies. But right. um, yeah, I kind of went in blind and I really appreciated it uh, that way. And I also, um, the one thing I, I'm sure we'll talk about later is I, I did play it all start to finish in one sitting. Yeah. I sat down to kind of just, oh, I'll dip my head in to kind of see see what this this looks like. And I ended mm. up just kind of being sucked right in and realized very soon, oh, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee because I'm not I'm not standing up again until this thing is done. So, yeah, yeah. Jacob, this seems like the kind of thing that might have piqued your interest around the time. But did you hear about it in early 2016 or later? I had heard about it, but I really I hadn't touched it. I, I realized when I was put on the show that I had it in my Steam library already, which I'm sure is the result of some kind of humble bundle or something, but also seems uh, kind of oddly thematically fitting for, for Pony Island <laughs> to always be available. Um, and yeah. and I picked it up uh, like a while ago and started it and and kind of got enough that I got the gist of it. And and was stuck for a couple minutes on on one puzzle that was something to do with like the the breaking menu screen early on, and was just like this seems neat. I'll I'll come back to it later. Um, and then and then just about a week ago, I came back to it and I've played through it a couple times since then. Hmm. Good stuff, Charlotte. What about you? 
So I think I heard about this pretty early on because a YouTuber who I used to watch a lot called Nitro Rad was one of one of the people who I saw who reviewed the game. I was so worried you were going to say PewDiePie then. No. Because uh, I, know, I, know I know he did some stuff with this as well, but he's kind of, he's persona non grata as far as we're concerned. Sorry, Charlotte. No, so it was this uh, Canadian YouTuber called Nitro Rad, and he also reviewed one of my other, one of my favorite games called Lisa, and that's how I found out about that game. Mm. I took his his view view very seriously at the time, put a lot of stock in what his opinion on games was, and he seemed to have a really fun time with Pony Island. So I thought, oh yeah, I'll definitely go away and play it, and then I just never did because as it things are with Steam games, you tend to um, have a million different things in your backlog, so you never end up getting to the things you actually want to play. So when it came up on the list for Kane and Rinse, I was really excited because it's just a game that I happened to really want to play a couple of years ago, but then just forgot about. It was a really good opportunity to finally get around to playing this game that I'd heard a lot of great stuff about, but just never got around to diving into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't really remember m much beyond what I said earlier, which was that I remember a game called Pony Island coming out and then being slightly confused by people who I thought didn't play that kind of game, uh, saying that it was really interesting, very much a similar story with Undertale. I can't remember when I bought it. I can't remember if I bought it before or after we decided we were going to cover it on the show. But at some point I added it to my Steam library, possibly when it was in a sale. And I played it yesterday, mainly. Uh, I had started just the very beginning, just before that. But yes, it was mainly a one sitting affair as well, which I think does, uh, does benefit it possibly, but I don't think it's essential necessarily. There is a true ending and a proper ending, which I ha I've only I didn't get by playing, but I have watched. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later, as usual. As always, we'll also hear from correspondents, people among the Cana Rinse community who post at canarinse.com slash forum who want to offer their own experiences and opinions. And we'll start with Magical Isopod, who says Pony Island is something I wish we had more of in gaming. A conceptually simple, short-form game that does what it sets out to do and doesn't overstay its welcome. I think a key to enjoying Pony Island relies on going in blind, not because it has any particularly shocking plot revelations, but just the way it's structured. I feel like it deliberately goes out of its way to constantly set and subvert your expectations. When you start the game, you're given no context. You have to figure out what kind of game this is. OK, it's an endless runner. Then it crashes. So now it's an OS simulator. It never really lets you settle in and get your bearings. You're constantly disoriented. I think if you go into the game knowing exactly what happens and what to expect, it will fundamentally fail to catch you, which makes it a hard sell to anyone who's watched a Let's Play. I'm definitely a sucker for what lies beneath type narratives, knowing there's something deeper than what's immediately obvious. In a lot of ways, playing through Pony Island reminds me of when I was a kid. We had a sump pump and storage room hidden under the basement stairs, hidden behind the same wood panelling as the rest of the walls. I'd lived in that house for a year or two, had no idea that it was there. My dad opened it up, something about checking for silverfish. So in my mind, hearing fish, I imagined the hole in the floor was not a drainage system, but rather some kind of portal to the ocean, and I'd see whales down there. Pony Island is exactly that. You start the game knowing nothing other than I am staring at an old arcade cabinet, but as the layers slowly reveal themselves and you come to understand not only the antagonist, but just how many layers of code and facade you have to dig through each time thinking, maybe, so this is the real game. It might as well be whales in a storage room. I think the developer here has tapped into a certain narrative thread that video games may be uniquely capable of. Using your preformed expectations and subverting them, 
You open your front door expecting a foyer. It reveals a car dealership. While this particular game doesn't fully capitalize on the potential at hand, I think it's a brilliant how-to guide for any enterprising developers who'd like to build upon it. And that's deeply exciting. As a self-contained experience though, I think it's more proof of concept than a true classic. Certainly notable for the sake of history, but maybe not as interesting as it potentially could have been. Thoughts and feelings on that? I do agree that the the game that slowly reveal themselves like that um uh that first time like you said like uh, as re was referenced before i think by jacob where you click on that menu screen and the menu screen's not working it, you know you kind of have to go into the options to figure out how just to get the game to work kind of the slow peel back of you know what am i actually going to be doing in this game what am i actually what's what what are the mechanics that's what i think about a lot when i go to play games now is what what am i primarily going to be doing in this game and 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 this is a game that never really lets you get comfortable with any of that so i found that i found that effective as well um just like magical isopod did i do think it's it's interesting and and we'll talk about this more but there is there is this like slow reveal of mechanics of like there there are kind of new things to do throughout the game but there's almost no pretense that this is a quote-unquote normal game you know like if you're playing any mm. of the other ones we referenced like frog fractions or uh, doki doki literature club is, a, is another kind of in this genre there's usually like a pretty long buildup of like, here's the thing the game is, and then it's subverted. Yep. And in this, it's subverted almost as soon as you click yeah. go. Um, and I think that's a that's an interesting choice. And I know we've got a quote on that like yep. right below here. Absolutely. Tech Raptor asked, uh, Pony Island drops its sheery facade quite quickly. Why does the game turn to insanity so fast? Daniel Mullins replied, what I was most happy with when developing the game was the mood. I knew I had a great mood the first time I combined the low, relentless humming of the machine with the gently shaking CRT-style graphics. To me, this is the most iconic aspect of Pony Island. Some have almost questioned, uh, have also questioned why the cheerful vibrance of Act 3 didn't come before the rest of the game to be slowly stripped away. My answer to that is the same. I wanted to get to the real mood as soon as possible. That humming. Oh, my Lord, that humming. Mm. I, I, I know uh, from reading everything that he said, including that quote, that that humming was very, uh, you know, <laughs> on purpose. But I yeah. wearing I tried canister headphones. I tried my earbuds. I tried just using the computer speaker. And there was in no way than when that humming was in constantly in my ears that I didn't feel somewhat uncomfortable. And yeah, very effective. But it, by the end of the game, I was fairly content to have the volume as low as possible. <laughs> yes. And the the sound of the, uh, the the programming sequences as well with the kind of repetitive sort of beats yeah. that obviously accompany uh, mm -hmm. um, misfires. You know, you, as you as you're attempting to sort things out, you're getting a lot of repetitive mm -hmm. beats followed by this kind of harsh white noise sound. Certainly the, the soundscape reminded me of uh, something like a razor head. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah. it's true that if if they had started with the more of the pretense, the facade of the cutesy sort of 60 or 8 or 16 bit, whatever kind of graphics style look with colors and butterflies and then took that away, it would have been a very different ride. It would have been effective in one way, but may maybe it's subverting expectations within its subversion of expectations. So it's he's even subverting expectations about what games like this do and how <laughs> they operate. I did. I actually really liked I have a, a pretty big subwoofer that I'm almost sitting on. It's like my, my feet are resting <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> on it. And and so it did 
very much feel like I was I was just kind of on this machine, you know, because because that sound was kind of coming from a different place than lower sounds. I found it very effective in just kind of like putting me there because it felt it felt almost like a like a vibration instead of mm-hmm. an actual mm-hmm. noise. That's quite cool. I also didn't have to worry about. I don't know waking up a sleeping baby or any of the other concerns that you know, <laughs> yeah there's, the players there's actually have. there is a a like turn down ambient humming dial in one of the menus that doesn't work that yeah. like, doesn't yes, do right. anything and i thought that was pretty funny even though i clicked, was... on, I clicked on that thing for a while <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get it to go yeah. away I, I often play games with um, music or podcasts on i don't generally listen to the soundtrack um except for when i've got to listen to it for something like cane and rinse but i didn't really want to listen to anything else playing this game it just fit mm. too well having that hum in the background i don't know maybe i'm a bit strange and repetitiveness doesn't bother me as much as other people but i actually kind of felt like it really added to the experience yeah exactly became kind of oddly comforting in a way <laughs> mm-hmm. womb music uh devil womb music yes rosemary's baby um i yeah i i think um this the, the soundscape as well as being yeah all encompassing and and enveloping is is yeah it's an interesting choice i also think the um a lot of the, the i think he sort of credits all the different library sound effects in the actual the real the real credits credit roll um and there's some very kind of bold and upfront specific like the 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 sound it makes when it's booting and and when you're accessing files and stuff it's all very um it's very deliberate it's uh, it's it's very bold um, in terms of its fidelity. There's no, it's not sort of apologetic or just, it's it's not just there. It's like clearly a big part of the, of the experience is meant to be listening to the sound, not just hearing it, if you see what I mean. Someone who, who played a, a number of games on an Apple IIe when I was a child, there were some right. genuine feel moments there where just the, the, the waviness ah, of the screen yeah. or just the way something moved or interacted that, that really... Like it just hit home in a way I wasn't expecting from that point of view. So yeah, the 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 commitment to the authenticity there, and also the commitment to the style choice, really it really was effective. As much as I maybe didn't like certain aspects of it, I appreciated it on the whole. If that makes any sense, I found the the noise of like getting a ticket, the kind of extras or the the bonus things in the game, just yep. very satisfying because it it sounded like it came, you know, you could almost hear like the clunk of machinery inside the, mm-hmm. the cabinet that you were playing in. And so it was like, oh, yeah. this isn't on the screen. And then your character actually like holds up a little ticket. Um, That's right. And yeah, it was just it was just a very nice noise that reminded me of, yeah, lots of arcades or Chuck E. Cheese's or wherever I was that gave me a ticket as a kid. Well, let's see if we can sort of get our heads around this. So normally our, our normal thing to start with when we discuss games is the sort of scenario and setting. But here you're not really told anything other than you know that you're at a some kind of cathode ray tube screen playing a quotes retro game uh, which involves a pony jumping over fences. That's that's as as it seems. Um, normally I ask people on the panel, you know, like did, did the idea of this appeal to you? But I guess this is, again, even even coming to a game like this tends to be a bit more about the the conversation outside of the, the game itself because you see there's a game called Pony Island. It's on Steam. It's $5. It's got retro graphics. It's got a cute little horse. But why are people telling, you know, it's all about the word of mouth. And if, if the word of mouth is coming to the likes of us, of you know people of our age and and our sort of interest and level of interest in gaming that probably means there's something more to it and it turns out that um 
you're actually effectively playing a crusader called Theodore who died <laughs> in the 12th century. And I mean, this is only revealed uh, through playing the game. Um, and there are little these little glimpses, vignettes of the real world outside of the coi- outside of the cabinet that you're playing. Um, you see a sky and you see church, a church in sort of pseudo realistic graphics, but very much out of focus. You see your character's hands, as you say, you see you, you see yourself pull the tickets. And I mean, this is the real head scrambler about the whole thing. The, the fact that, yeah, you like you have to kind of really dig into the game to actually understand even, yeah, just what the heck is going on. And I've played it and I'm still not I still don't have a, a fully clear picture of how how it starts, how it ends, why it happened <laughs> and all that kind of thing. I was halfway through my second playthrough of it when I got the third. For some reason, I, and I don't know what I missed. I, I used a guide the second time through to get all the tickets. Um, I think I, I, I want to say I collected yeah, it's a good idea, I think. 14 or 15 of them naturally. Um, I used a guide for the rest of them. And I, I didn't find out the third hint or the third question about who I was, when did I die, and who killed me mm. until the end. And the, the one that I was missing was the when did I die. So I had my name Theodore. I had the name of who killed me, whose name I am forgetting now. And then I found out when I when the character passed away, I'm like, oh, it was a Crusades thing. And I had played, you know, one and a half playthroughs of this without finding that out so far. So it did take some digging in order to get there. Do we understand why a the 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 spirit of a, a deceased Crusader from the 12th century, I believe, is playing a arcade machine designed by the devil? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't understand. <laughs> I really, okay, okay. I don't. It's, it makes me feel less stupid when you guys are all like, "Nope, <laughs> not a clue." Is it all? Is it all in there somewhere? Have we just not pieced it together? Are we being obtuse, or is it deliberately vague? Do we think it does seem kind of built around? You know, maybe maybe this was. I don't. I don't want to kind of ascribe intentions to the creator, but it does very much seem like a game that like. He wanted people to be making, you know, like Pony Island explained videos or kind of like message boards sorting what yeah. was happening back and forth because mm. it it certainly does not give you a lot of information. And even I think with all the information in the game, the, there are a number of possibilities of just why and how things mm. are happening. So maybe maybe he has a, a picture in his head of the whole story, but I I think even if you got everything, there would still be some pieces missing that you have to kind of fill in yourself. So there are thousands of lost souls trapped in this devil-designed machine. <clears throat> the idea is that I suppose that it's a version of purgatory or hell. Is everyone, is every soul in the machine meant to be a, a deceased Christian? Is, is the devil punishing these crusaders for trying to spread the message of God? I, I was kind of going down a path like that reading comments um uh, yesterday right. morning and it there was no real clear answer but a lot a lot of the theorizing that i was reading some of which made sense to me others that didn't was that you, you know basically that anyone involved in in a in a holy war of any of any type is essentially mm. in doing it in defiance of god so they would be punished by the devil that type of thing i'm not sure i buy into that but i but i could mm. i could see where that was where that would be the point of view mm. right and as as being someone who's uh not christian you know all the crusaders being trapped somewhere like you know <laughs> i think i think there's some reason for that i might be on satan's side a little bit in this situation and <laughs> you're allowed to say that yeah i don't I know. <laughs> um if uh 
if and if you read the the questions you can ask um the computer as well the answer to who killed you and i, I still can't remember his name it said he he killed you defending his city so yeah it definitely right. just i mean it's a lot it's a lot of intent to ascribe to one short line if if that line certainly leads me to believe that the the creator of the game was being more sympathetic to the city being attacked as opposed to the opposite way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, funnily, I, I I kind of felt that this podcast might go this way, which is that we're already kind of jumping about wildly because yeah. the game kind <laughs> right. of does, and it's it's not necessarily the kind of game where you can say, so what did you think about the graphics and what did you think about the sound because it's it's so high concept and it's so kind of it's a it's a piece rather than a bunch of components which come together to make a piece of entertainment. Um, and I don't mean that in a highfalutin way. It's just, I think it, it is just, everything is just tied together so intrinsically that it's hard to kind of separate those factors out. Having said that, I'm going to try to do it <laughs> and maybe we'll cover some more of the important stuff along the way. But I want to talk about the pony game itself because you have to play it to play the game. Probably the two things that you spend the most time doing, I would say, are one, auto-scrolling pony game and two, the programming puzzles. So I think we have to talk about those in a traditional gameplay review sense, in the sense that actually, even if the designer wanted them to be not that great to play or difficult or frustrating or whatever, or, or fun, we need to sort of get across to the listeners what whether we thought they succeeded either in being fun or not being fun. <laughs> I'm even tying myself in knots about this. But uh, so there's a pony game, right? In Pony Island. It's an auto scroller. You start off with only the ability to jump over little fences and stages scroll along and you can see how far you've got to go. It's very rudimentary graphics and uh, you can uh, it's mouse controlled left click to jump you soon get some extra uh, you get some lasers after a little while and you even get some wings to enable you to float jump by holding the left mouse button laser on right and you can aim it in 360 your pony has a rotating head which is handy uh, and you end up playing more and more of these levels and in fact uh, the kind of the final showdown of the regular game involves one of these levels and the final final showdown of the true ending also involves one of these levels so i think it's fair to say that that pony part that, that quite simplistic auto-running game. Actually, it's not an auto-runner in the very final stage. You actually can. You you are at the very last minute given lateral controls of your pony. But So I think it's fair to actually say, given that you spend, I guess the running time of the game is three to five hours and you probably spend maybe one to two hours actually playing this pony game. I don't know. I didn't measure, but is it any good? <laughs> I mean, it's very simplistic, but I don't think um, the point was to develop a complicated core game within a game the the short answer for me is like it's not very good and and like we said you know that's the point but even if that's the point you spend you spend a lot of time playing this pony game even once you've kind of like i understand what this game is i get the gist of you know like the subversion and whatever you still keep going back to these pony levels and and if you get hit you have to restart them sometimes yeah i i wonder if it really needed as many as it has because they can they can be a little um, monotonous by design, but monotonous uh, all the same. Yeah, though to its credit, you do um, have a gradual um, development of skills that you can use so you don't start off being able to shoot lasers. That's something you mm. have to actually activate in the game. Mm-hmm. And um, for example, 
Like a lot of it was extremely simple. I don't think many of us would have died very often apart from the initial failures of reflexes and getting used to it. Um, But the stage where you have to um, shoot lasers at Jesus while he's throwing stars at you, that was actually kind of complicated and required a bit of timing to get like jumping and dodging the stars right. So I thought that was actually pretty accomplished. And you get rewarded with a full screen message saying you killed Jesus, which uh, which did make me laugh. Yeah, that was one of the hardest I've laughed at a video game in recent memory. I, I actually yeah. uh, I actually stopped what I was doing and brought my wife into the room to look at it before I did anything <laughs> else. Because I didn't be like, this went to a place I was not expecting. Yeah, are look they actually allowed did. to do this? <laughs> <laughs> And and if you if you make it through it without actually when you reach the flagpole you get a, a full page that says you didn't kill Jesus. Which, oh, do you really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> ah, Easter egg. Wow. Uh, you don't get a ticket. Do you get a ticket for not killing? I Jesus, don't believe though? so. <laughs> no, of course Brian would. Uh, Brian yeah, would at least if, if that happened, I I, I don't remember. <laughs> The gameplay, yeah, I, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it's very good. Um, there's some certain things about the visual style of the levels that makes me laugh, or the way that the backgrounds become progressively more grim, or like your pony at one point yeah. turns into like a growling, crying pony, um, devil pony, yeah, devil pony, and then the, but the way like the 360 controls of the pony laser really were 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 not very good. I didn't think it was like I felt like uh, I was always always losing some angles a little bit as I would try to like go around like to sometimes you'd be surrounded by the you know all the floating skulls around you in a circle I could never ever yeah. clear them all in one sweep yeah same actually but I wonder if that's the coding rather than the right the mouse so maybe maybe this is the game to shell out on that 140 pound razor mouse <laughs> gaming mouse <laughs> to, to really nail your pony island game and yeah, I suppose the other, obviously we're going to talk about how you get between these things, because uh, in a way it's the more interesting stuff. But the other thing that you spend probably most of your gaming time actually gaming is the the puzzle game that is referred to in the kind of blurb, which uh, is a set of logic puzzles. Um, I'm doing this with, without a script, but you're trying to manipulate code so that the sequence runs successfully you end up with a key and a lock at the bottom of the screen. So it it runs uh, it, as long as all the, the kind of the holes are filled on the way, it, the code will run, but you have to make adjustments to make the code run in the right way. So arrows move the uh, your cursor around the screen. And then as the, as the game goes on, you're actually moving teleports to, uh, to make sure that the, your cursor doesn't go across uh, bits of code that will actually disrupt you. You're doing simple maths puzzles and so on and so forth. Uh, and it also breaks off during the the kind of the slightly modernized cutesy fluffy version of the Pony Island game. It becomes butterflies that you're trying to get into houses, which then teaches you a few new mechanics, which you're going to take on into the, the last stage of the kind of the inside of the computer. I personally thought these were some really excellent puzzles uh, on the whole. Uh, I enjoyed solving them all. I didn't ever need to look up a solution, but they all had me just sitting there, just scratching my chin for long enough and trying a few different things out before working out the solution. So I thought they were very well judged and quite satisfying. And the motivation to see what was coming next in this wacky game was uh, was more than enough to keep me puzzling them out. What about you? I thought the puzzles were really good, but um, it's sort of more of a hindsight thing now that I've read a few articles with um, Daniel Mullins' like, interviews. And he mm-hmm. was saying that it was a way, um, he built the puzzles so it was a way of introducing people to code and that his initial builds of the game, people didn't understand what to do because it was right. a lot more pared down and relying on people actually interpreting 
how to run code. And I didn't really pick up on that at all. I mean, I saw that there was stuff written down in the background, but after trying to the first time to decipher if it actually meant anything towards solving the puzzle, I sort of decided that it didn't and then just treated it as like, get this key to this box, yes. you know? So yeah. I didn't really feel like if he was trying to do it as some sort of, well, he was trying to do it as some sort of comparison to hacking in and like breaking the code of the game, mm-hmm. kind of went over my head a bit, which, you know, not a lot of things go over my head, but... <laughs> We all feel like that from time to time, especially when we're, we're, you know, when you're playing a game by a guy who's had a very high concept, high minded idea, and then you're trying to get into that person's head. So I think, yeah, I think it's fair enough to feel a little bit bemused at times. But yeah, I found the actual, the logic behind the puzzles once, yeah, once, you're exactly right, Charlotte, once you learned to sort of, uh, in internally filter out all the garbage on the screen that you didn't need to know, there were basically the, the rest of the screen is kind of jokes. It's actually the 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 code is is joking about the the meta the story and in fact solving the puzzle is is a rather a simpler affair for the most part they get they get relatively complicated later on did anyone would anyone admit to having to to get crushed by a puzzle and had to look up the solution yep <laughs> i didn't good i i didn't look up the solution to the it was i guess it was the last butterfly puzzle but i i lucked my way into it. i i don't know how i was oh, just yeah, i think it just I think I just like I made did the math in my head that, OK, there, there's four fillable boxes. So there's only this many combinations. So at the end, I was just running all the combinations, not really not really solving the puzzle by solving the puzzle, just just by, you know, brute forcing my way through it. Um, mm. um, but uh, yeah, they, they I was actually talking to uh, in the slack. I was talking to Leah about this as she was thinking about picking it up and playing it. And it's it mm-hmm. felt like way less of. Uh, coding puzzles like nothing like quadrilateral cowboy or anything like that like things that that i hear about and i was like oh you know you have to know how to code in order to solve these uh, Uh. puzzles i um that's the way i when going into the game i was nervous about it but in reality they just kind of are more you know pattern puzzles you know being being able to follow out what what little things you add to those boxes to manipulate where the key would go but yeah there were there were two specifically one at the end of the puzzle and then there was one of the last uh coding puzzle the arrows that i i beat my head against for quite a while so with um, the final puzzle um i actually looked up how like the the modern like the niceified version of um pony island with the nice puzzles i actually looked up how to do the last one and, and i've the solution was actually provided by Daniel Mullins. He um, recorded a a um, gif of him doing oh, the puzzle okay. correctly. And I have to say right here that like I've never seen a developer who's got so involved and been commenting on um, everything on Steam mm. and helping people out, and right. especially in the initial days of the game being released. Like yeah. I was really impressed with how much he was like communicating with the with the His you know with, with with the audience on how to. Mm you know, enjoy the game to its maximum potential. And one of those things was helping people when they got stuck with puzzles, which I was really impressed with. That's not what Jonathan Blow would have done, right? I mean, it's it's a really interesting move because the more he gets involved, the less this game kind of does feel like a a game designed by Satan or whatever, you know, it's like... Unless, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like um, a lot of the other kind of like examples of this scenario have people kind of stepping back, you know, like Toby Fox uh, with Undertale has has somewhat famously like never talked about the the genocide route of the game, which is kind of the version of the game where you're going against its programming. And and that makes it feel more 
real and kind of like, oh, am I really like doing something this game doesn't want me to? And so it's interesting that that Mullins is so involved because it just makes this feel much much friendlier and and maybe a little less acting without an operator. As Charlotte said, uh, referred to Daniel Mullins said to Gama Sutra, there was a long period of time in which the coding puzzles did not have the key and keyhole images. Instead, the key was just a triangular pointer and the goal line was just a different color. Players didn't understand the puzzle system because they didn't understand what their goal was. When I realized this, I tried adding images that made the goal intuitive. Fit the key into the slot is so much easier to understand than make the triangle point at the different colored line. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I had the same thing. I think it was Charlotte, actually, who first brought the question up. She'd obviously looked a little bit more into what the game was. I'd simply looked at the time to complete thing and thought, right, how long do I need to beat this game to get it done in time for the show? Okay, three to five hours, I can do that. That's no problem. And then Charlotte was sort of saying, I'm a bit worried about these coding bits. And I was like, "Uh oh, (laughs) Um, I have no idea if this is going to be like, I haven't played Quadrilateral Cowboy either, but um, I was, yeah, I was a little bit of feared. But yes, uh, it was, um, we we all put each other at, at ease saying that actually these aren't really coding puzzles in... Only in the sense that actually coding is a logic-based puzzle, I suppose. Um, but these are these are quite s- sli- uh, you know s- stripped down and simplistic. It's more like um, basic programming, which you know I did as many kids of a certain age, people my age, growing up in the eighties, especially in Europe. So many of us did type these type in listings from magazines to try to get little programs and games running. And that was a minefield of misprints and error messages. Uh, this was a positive doddle compared to that. I am relieved to hear that um, I, uh, yeah, I, I managed to get through the game without looking up solutions. But yeah, I, I, I will say that um, one, one or two of the latest puzzles, there was quite a lot of yeah trial and error and... Um, sort of uh, eliminating sequences. So actually, yes, I think the one that took me the longest, is it, is it the last one? I'm not sure, but there's one where you're effectively, it's a, it becomes a kind of turn-based puzzle against an AI yeah. insect bug. Mm. You have to work out how to, you, you have to start planning ahead because you know that each time you put a piece down, an arrow or a, uh, a reset marker, he's going to put one in as well. And if he puts certain things in certain places the pu- the puzzle is locked out and you have to hit a reset and kind of start the whole thing again so that did take me quite a number of goes yeah that one was really interesting because it had the element of once a piece was in certain locations it was locked in forever and then you could see the whole well of the pieces coming down kind of like tetris but mm. just you could see yes. the whole thing and um yeah, I definitely there were a few times of that puzzle where I, I thought I had it had the AI bested and then it and then it would do one very simple thing and I'd have to go back to back to this drawing board of what yeah. to do next. Yeah, it was kind of a memory test as well. Uh, I I didn't I didn't uh, resort to writing it down, but I was starting to think I'm going to make a note of what I think the right order is here and and start making a note of the wrong orders so I don't have to so I don't accidentally keep doing the same mistake kind of thing. I like I like that part because in most games you are learning how to exploit the AI, but the game kind of tries to cover up that it is an AI. You know, it's like, oh, you're actually flanking these enemies. And so when they act robotically, it kind of takes you out of the experience. But in this, 
you were very directly kind of going up against an artificial intelligence. And so the fact that it acted predictably and you could kind of outsmart it felt mm. pretty like diegetic within the game, which I thought was just, you know, a neat little side effect of having this whole game kind of be about you versus a computer. Um, what I really liked about that puzzle that we were talking about where the um, you have to sort of outwit the, the, the computer and that there are certain squares where if something's put there, it can't be moved. Um, that puzzle really sort of got under my skin because I, I had to look it up, not because I was stuck, but because I thought that what I was, it convinced me that what I was doing was wrong. So I'd seen what mm. path I was going to get the, the squares to take. And because he was getting there before I could, I convinced myself that that path was wrong and there had to be another path. So mm. that was kind of um, sort of the computer, you know, like making me doubt myself where it probably wasn't intended yeah. by the by Daniel oh, Mullins. Because right. <laughs> I was yeah. just like so convinced that I must be getting the solution wrong. This comes back to the, the, the bit we were reading at the start, which is the fact that the game doesn't tell you anything. So... Let's kind of use that as a way to branch into talking about the bits between the ga- the game between the games, I suppose, which is the hacking, the the working stuff out, the breaking into the system, the being talked to by uh, the the hopeless lost soul and the demons who run the machine, navigating your way around various layers of option screens and and things like that. I mean, I thought this stuff was really smart and interesting um i never i again i would say um i was never that stuck for that long but that was again i think to do with intelligent design so one puzzle for instance involves you moving to a or moving the cursor to a point on the screen where the noise where where the noises are louder or there'll be an empty box that's just at the edge of the screen that you need to click on to go to and within the the option screens you'll notice that different words are different colors uh little things appear there's lots of different ways that the game kind of leads you around but there there were definitely times where i thought i have no idea what to do next and there was only one thing left to try and i tried it and it would be the solution like there's one point where it appears there's no way forward. Every clicking on anything just gives you a, a kind of white noise and a noise. But then it was like, oh, I haven't opened up the messenger for a while. And that was the way to carry on. You get you start messaging your kind of invisible helper again and, and the plot kind of moves on a pace. Um, this was where I actually thought the game was at its cleverest outside of the in between the games kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of what I really liked about it was... It was kind of the the pop culture perception of hacking where like real right. hacking is boring and and largely uneventful. But the way that, you know, movies have forever depicted it on screen is this kind of like, oh, what's that right there? You know, like finding a little secret somewhere on the screen and then burrowing Jurassic into Park it. Hacking. I mean, I think yeah. in, I think in Skyfall, the like numbers arrange themselves into a skull and laughed at you or something. And so this kind of thing <laughs> where where you're like, you know, finding a little a little visual glitch and then somehow using that to like get behind this curtain of UI was really cool feeling. And it felt like it felt like you were breaking it, even though it was all, you know, very intended. Yeah, I have to imagine that's got to be pretty difficult to design um, to mm. like to, to design a game that's meant to be broken, but have 
the player not feel like it was designed for them to break, you know, to make it feel like you mm-hmm. really are peeling that layer back. I love those moments in the game. And I, I can honestly say that the, the actual gameplay elements, the, the, the puzzle and the pony game were, I felt like those to me were the breaks from the part of the game that I really liked the yeah, exactly. poking around the, you know, the, the, the messenger system and, and talking to the different parts of the, of the computer and the AI and, and seeking out the different cores. Those are, those are the parts of the game I found to be um, like Leon said before, they're just, everything just had a, had, had an interesting kind of an interesting presentation and did things just a little bit left to center to where I never truly felt like I knew what to solve next. It would be really interesting, actually. I know that uh, our resident uh, gaming historian, Jesse Fuchs, would be interested in this. But there was a game before any of your time, I suspect, called Hacker, an Activision game when Activision were a very different company back in the mid 80s. I think it was 84 or maybe 85. There was a sequel as well. But yeah, it was it was a game all about hacking. And I'm sure it was much more around the cinematic idea of hacking. But of course, it was an 8-bit computer game. So it did involve very primitive graphics. It was all about the hacking, typing into little boring grey text boxes and things like that. So um, I'd be interested for us to cover that at some point, see if it... Uh, I suspect it's a lot harder to kind of <laughs> break into than, uh, than this. It probably feels even more like real hacking now. But certainly for those of us who grew up um, yeah, in the 80s, I think... Um, it's, it's funny, I think Daniel Mullins is much younger than I am. He's probably like uh, more your guy's age, uh, you guys. But... Um, it does have that because the game is set in and around this. Obviously, it's not actually set in and around the 12th century <laughs> AD, but the, the but the the sort of the computer game, the, the the arcade and the console. I mean, they're not really like anything, and it's not really of a time. But just the fact that it's a CRT uh, and there's cobwebs on the screen later in the game and stuff suggests that this is yeah, this is and the sounds that it makes, as you said, Brian, implies that this is like 80s 90s tech maybe something like that hard to say and i loved i loved kind of how simple and understandable the solutions were to these things because i you mm. know i know people who code and i look at that sort of thing and it is just absolutely incomprehensible to me but there's there's like that that part where you have to click on the enable pony lasers button <laughs> and and the the kind of antagonist system has made it like really small and avoids your cursor and so you kind of respond by making the like the option itself just bigger and bigger until like it fills the whole screen and then it can't get away from you anymore and like that Mm. just makes sense even though it's nothing like how an actual computer operates it kind of like it was it was very yeah. satisfying to to find those kind of solutions. Any other clever moments or moments that stuck out for you guys? I'm a big sucker for any type of text adventure. I'm also <laughs> yes. I'm also a big point and click adventure guy. So I was I was the you know the lunatic who playing games like Day of the Tentacle would try every item on every item, other item to see what dialogue would pop up. And I did mm-hmm. that too in in this game with the uh, with all the messenger and chat options, and uh, I really found it. Uh, it was pretty deep, the response language that, that had been programmed into the game uh, to where you could would talk to, to, to the various demons or to the hopeless soul and the responses that would kind of come out. One, one of the more clever aspects of that I found was on my second playthrough, because as we'll talk 
talk about coming up that you're given very specific direction at the end of your first playthrough and then i'm playing through it again there i would be typing into the hopeless soul or to the devil and the devil would be like oh you're back again you want to do this thing from the top okay here we go you know like little things like that and i just it was just elaborate in a way that i wasn't expecting um so that was i just thought the way that those messenger sections and and the keyboard typing in sections were set up was was very satisfying and fun i found myself laughing out loud trying different things saying various you know the swear words to it to see how it would react and you know it was of fun. course yeah well you mentioned there of course uh, the one of the, the the game is structured as such that the, the, it is a three act uh, thing there's three uh, core programs that you need to delete to basically to have all the yourself and all the other lost souls escape this uh, this entrapment of of the devil this uh, this purgatory or this hell inside this machine and uh, the third part involves you coming out of the main Pony Island game and playing different variants that had been mooted of the game or that the devil had put forward. Uh, I guess the uh, the focus group didn't like them or something. I don't know if they ever got released, but there is a text adventure version of Pony Island, which is the same game as you play with the mouse the rest of the time, but it's in a text adventure format. So <laughs> you have to jump and then jump again and then wait and then jump uh, and and so on. It's quite, it's fairly straightforward. I assume it is possible to uh, to at least, if not fail, to to make the wrong move. But I, I I think I I think I kind of got through it fairly fairly quickly. But um, I don't know, Brian. Did you find any? Was there any stuff in there that you could do to? muck around with the game that Mullins had thought about players might do. So so that in that particular instance, there was that aspect where you have to wait for the gate to get closer before you jump. So I hit jump, but I was on my yes. second playthrough and the response was something and I can't remember exactly what it says was, oh, come on, we know you know what to do. And then it replaced, <laughs> repeated that again. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if that's any different the first time around or not. Mm. But uh, I remember All that right. making me <laughs> making me laugh pretty, pretty good. It's interesting that I feel like the third act of this game is by far the strongest in terms of how many new ideas and how many clever things it throws at you. And it's just really surprising and was cool getting to that third act and having there be so much new. But it's also interesting that that the the first and second parts of the game were really kind of the most monotonous in how much you had to do just the normal pony game and the normal hacking. Right. And then when yeah. you kind of think you've seen it all, they just start throwing ideas at you in a way that I, I found really mm. exciting and made it end on a high note. Yeah, I um, was a particular fan of the 3D <laughs> Pony <laughs> Island. Like it was it was so silly and it was also actually kind of easy to fail because um, yeah. like perspective, I, I have problems judging distances with um, not not like a, any sort of medical or anything, just in general, I have trouble um, yeah, sure. with distances. And the game doesn't give you much information to work with. <laughs> it yeah, just so gives I've- you some white lines coming trundling towards you. Yeah, I, I failed that quite a lot of times. But when I realized, because mm. um, it's not, it wasn't immediately obvious to me what was going to happen when I opened that game. But when I started and it was like, oh, I am the pony. I just had a little <laughs> chuckle to myself. You see your little hooves on the side of the screen, polygon hooves. Uh, yes, uh, switching off the anti-aliasing in the options doesn't do anything <laughs> to that section. <laughs> but that section does actually make a return in the true final boss I saw from... Uh, it reminded from me a lot of a, a game for the NES that I played far too much as a kid called 3D World Runner, where just kind of, you know, it, it isn't... It, it simulated 3D by just having a, a, a lot of curved lines coming at you <laughs> quick succession it was <laughs> yes it definitely right. was reminiscent of that certain time 
um, gaming. I remember I was I left quite a bit at that. Eight bit three D, but this is uh, this is higher frame rate anyway. Yes. It was running at a good a good sixty frames on on my machine, I think. Uh, so yeah, but check your specs, obviously, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other section, I think this was it part of Act Two, the uh, the Pony Island Adventure kind of version, which is like the RPG. Mm, yeah. Is that part of Act Two? Yes. Yes, and uh, so here you, there's quite a long section where, uh, I mean, this is where this is the game kind of making fun of other games kind of section at its at, at its most obviously satirical i suppose there's on this over uh, on this map there's a there's a place called xp beach and you uh, you have to grind to level up to get over to get the wings to get over an area and that's that's where one of the puzzles kicks in um because you have to basically grant yourself uh enough xp rather than play the mini game a thousand times whatever it is can you actually do that? I wonder. Does it let you do it the 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 real way? I'm not because sure. I think th- theoretically you could play the the pony game the, the the simple little level a thousand times to get a thousand XP. But I don't know. I don't know whether he put that in there or not. Uh, some, be... Somebody must have tried. Of course they will. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's always tried it. Uh, any uh, any other cool elements of that the 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 adventure part that I'm forgetting? It seems um, on reviewing it for the second time that there's quite quite a few paths you can take to get Optionals, kind of get to the end yeah. to the cave of cave of mm-hmm. truths, I believe is the name of it. But yeah, that when you kind of end up getting that freedom to explore the map, you know, without being tied to the line, um, there's it's really is it's. I mean, there's nothing to do there, but it's it's kind of this vast landscape that was created, and and that was one of the few times in the game where I actually felt lost. Is when you kind of break off the path and you can kind of go wherever you want. Yeah, I I legitimately didn't know where to go next. Fortunately, the those little glowing red and blue boxes that you end up finding the code that you can click on. Um, I ended up kind of stumbling across it, but um, I really did kind of feel like I was lost in that code space at that point. So, um, which I which was really effective because I I I didn't know what to do next at all. I did wonder if there would be people who played this game. This is not saying, you know, I'm smarter because I didn't get stuck. But I just wonder if you went into this game. We already talked about the fact that we went into the game expecting a game that would it would play against our expectations. If you just bought this game because you saw it had overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam and an 86 Metacritic, I think maybe there are a lot of players who would just kind of get stuck right at the start, not even, you know, because if you don't really know what it is, and even though it's in the description... I think there are moments as as well as the game does seem to try to communicate its uh, its way forward to the player. I'm sure there are people who just wouldn't necessarily think of clicking on everything that you need to click on at various points, either either on that part of the game or within the kind of hacking the back, the backroom stuff. I don't know. It's um it's a scenario I can foresee. I don't have a huge amount of experience with points and click games and I find that some of the uh-huh. Tim Schafer games that I've gone back and played have not um, enjoyed that much because I just can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. Super so obscure. I th- puzzles, I think, yeah. yeah, I think I would f- put myself sort of halfway into that camp that I... Okay. The thing is, I do try and click on everything, but I don't necessarily see everything to click on. Like, you, d- you don't see yeah. what you can't see, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And some of this is a pixel hunt. Uh, and that's actually a... You know, it's kind of considered a, a, a very a weak piece of point and click design. I know there's kind of a genre built around pixel hunting as well, the kind of hidden object games, but within point and click adventures, I remember playing Beneath the Steel Sky, which was one of the early uh, Charles Cecil revolution games back in the, in the early nineties. 
there was a pixel hunt puzzle later in that game, which was a literal pixel hunt. It was one pixel that you needed to interact with to to solve a puzzle. And it was it left a really bad taste in my mouth. And that was a, a bit of design 20 something years ago. And in this game, there definitely are bits where if you don't think to look around the screen for little wibbly pixels, then you are stuck. There's a number of that in the options section uh, at the beginning of the game, uh, kind of when you're reworking the option. A couple times there would be that light option written in, in like faded, just off gray text towards the bottom. There's like additionally obscure options and things like that. Right. Where I, I looked past those a number of times, even mm. on the second time through. I'd be like, where instead of thinking, how do I solve this puzzle? I was thinking, where do I click now? And, you know, I can mm-hmm. see some of the, fi- the uh, not really a failure of design there, but just a more I, I was less thinking about the challenge or the strategy and more just thinking, what haven't I clicked on yet? And that and I, mm. I understand from playing a ton of point and click adventure games. I, I get that frustration completely. I think I think it kind of gets a pass from me, at least in this situation, because it only ever did most of those tricks once. You know, and so even if it was kind of like irritating to be like, oh, I I just didn't see this like one white pixel in the corner of the screen, that was never a fundamental part of the gameplay. And so it it, it did feel like it was just part of the bag of tricks. And sometimes sometimes I thought those were really fun. And sometimes it did just feel like a like a hunt for the next thing. But it wasn't it was never consistent enough to actually aggravate me. None of us got overly stuck on that by the sounds of it. So that's a good sign. And yes, obviously there are video walkthroughs available and written walkthroughs. And it sounds like Daniel Mullins helps out as well. But I think, yeah, for probably, I don't know, wouldn't wouldn't care to hazard a percentage. But um, but I, yeah, I don't think it, I didn't find it. I didn't find myself thinking, blimey, I, you know, I was lucky to to get through. Most of it seemed logical, even if it was pixel hunty. Let's talk a bit more about the meta as well. Um According to that Gama Sutra piece, Pony Island layers on levels of meta on top of the gameplay. There are faked crashes, error sounds, Steam friend messages and other unexpected intrusions. It seems to reach out beyond the confines of the game itself and start messing with things in your computer or in other programs. A big part of Pony Island, says Daniel Mullins, is taking your expectations about how a game should work and flipping them. The fake game crash and fake Steam messages were just more ways to surprise the player by doing things they would never expect a game to do. I think these elements were important in creating an uneasiness about what would happen next. So who was hitherto unaware of this Steam messaging? Who Did anyone fall for it? Did anyone think it was real? Yes. Um, and Excellent. <laughs> the thing is, um, I don't use Steam all that often. Um, I mostly play games on PlayStation. So my Steam friend list is practically empty, apart uh-huh. from an ex-boyfriend. So to suddenly get messages from an ex-boyfriend <laughs> was kind of terrifying. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. But also that's about as effective as that bit of the game has probably ever been. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you think there's, do you think there's, is an ethical, is there an ethical boundary that he crossed? by doing that i think i think it's more likely to be a a jolly jape for most people because they're gonna they're gonna message their friend and be like oh my god it's it's not going to cause any catastrophic damage i don't think so i i don't think it's crossing a moral boundary or anything though it does worry me a bit that they have like access to that information freely when they're designing a game that's going to go on steam that concerns me a little bit that they have access to your friends list i i certainly i kind of got like a moment of panic when the message first popped up i think it pretty quickly makes itself 
more obvious that it's not your friend because like, you know, you you know how people type or whatever. But but just that moment is truly genius because it's not just a message from a friend. It's a message immediately after the game tells you to like write something gross, you know, <laughs> like and so and so I had entered I had, I had written like poop butts or something into this and and then to get the message being like what did you just say poop butts like it was i just i i really i really respected the craft of it quite a bit to kind of get like potentially the most embarrassing part of the game and have that fool you and then even once you realized it was fake the the kind of the the ultimate AI on the screen continues talking to you being like be sure to remember this part and I did not remember that part (laughs) because I was too busy worrying about if I had accidentally messaged someone on Steam so yeah Yeah. I just I thought it was brilliantly kind of orchestrated and that's what I liked most about it it's also really timely because it's it does show that there is the capability of Steam games to have access to your friends list in this way, which when you think mm. about it, it's not actually it's not that um, that difficult to understand because there are various applications where it would make sense for them to have access to your to your yeah. Steam friends list. But it's like it's it's similar to so I was reading a book about startups lately and um, about how Facebook has access to all your data and yes, that sort yeah. of thing and like how all this stuff is going on in the background that you might you know, download a game or something and they have access to a lot more than Hmm. you realize, which is another instance of the game breaking a fourth wall. That's interesting. It's actually, yeah, it could be a timely reminder to say, delete ex relationship partners from your friends list or something (laughs) like that. Yes, you could say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, unfortunately, I'd caught wind that this, something like this was going to happen. Uh, Just in, I mean, I deliberately didn't do most of my research on this game before I played it because I wanted maximum uh, exposure to the to the surprises. But actually, uh, just through shortcutting some stuff, I just, I don't know, just skim read something about Steam messaging and that had just sown the seed that there was something unexpected to be expected. And also the friend who, or the Steam friend who messaged me, I have no idea who it was. <laughs> uh, because I've been podcasting for 10 years, I've had a lot of friend requests from people who I don't really know. So, and rather than be a jerk about it, I tend to accept them. Um, so uh, <laughs> it was this person who I don't know who they are. And it would have been weird if they just started messaging me, even if I'd just start, even if I'd randomly message message them with the word pustulant, which is what I put in. <laughs> so classy. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to comment on what Jacob said. Is that I was way more mature than Jacob because I think I put in you eat poop. I believe is what I put was my gross. <laughs> we, we all went in similar directions. <laughs> Well, the, yeah. the thing is, I because of what I said before, I I've never really played games on Steam. I own seven games on Steam, and uh, oh yeah, and that's it. I don't, I don't, I do not have any Steam friends. So when oh. I when this thing message popped up, it was less for me of who did I just message and more for how do I open up the messages. <laughs> so I was looking <laughs> down trying to figure out how to open up the message tab. And so that's what does how it do to you? What what? It said what, Steam did, friend one. <laughs> is what it said. <laughs> they must have. He had to code that in as well. Yeah, I would because, imagine, yeah. yeah, I wonder what percentage of people on Steam have no friends. Yeah, I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's fair. I'm guessing it's fairly low. But uh, the one thing I was thinking too is in that section where the where the game crashes as well. Um, yes, that kind of plays along in the same thing. I I got a real eternal darkness vibe out of that. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, yeah. the back when when CRTs were what you played everything on, and uh, it would yeah. change your tint or your your volume up All and down. All sorts of things, yes. But the one thing I, yeah. I remember saying it out loud when I played it, I, the game crashed in quotes, which I didn't know, completely fell for it yeah. because I was like instantly just getting mad at PC gaming, being like, ah, oh, this would never happen on my Switch, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Um, oh, that's so good. Yeah, but uh, but then I, I loaded back up and realized what happened and just realized, you know, that I was I was the fool, but it was it was a it was a fun foolishness to be that's had. That's great. So actually this playing this as a non-experienced PC gamer rewards you in some ways. I mean, it probably would have been slightly better if you'd had one Steam friend. Um Add me, Brian. I will. Then you <laughs> know I'm going to get right on it. I've got um, I've, I've got a whopping seven games to share you my no progress with. So, uh, Charlotte, <laughs> can you share what you said to your ex boyfriend? Or you didn't actually. What what you typed in as your foul thing, or is it not friendly? Um, it was probably something scatological, but I don't think it's um, appropriate. For, <laughs> yeah, because we're not an explicit podcast. We'd we're better not. just leave it we out. We try not to be. Well, it's 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 still a good thought that that's what you said unwittingly or you didn't but it made you think briefly that you'd said that to an ex but i mean to be honest knowing him he he would have probably just found it funny so yeah there is that kind of this will become a time capsule i think because Mm. steam messaging i'm sure i mean it kind of already has changed what it looks like since since this game was designed and and i noticed that that pony island very much did kind of crash in windows 8 which is not the operating system that I right. have. And so, and it's still, it's, it's similar enough that it works, but as time oh, goes on, it well. will be, it'll be in kind of interesting reminder of like, this is what our systems looked like before. Exactly. Like eternal darkness and mm-hmm. it's yeah. uh, volume controls and, and metal gear solid with its hideo screen. It's the same. Yeah. It, the, the, those were really worked at the time because of the tech that people were playing the games on. But yes, you're absolutely spot on. It's kind of a shame, but he could do updates. <laughs> it's yeah. funny, though, that you mentioned Metal Gear Solid because um, he was saying that um, the, oh gosh, the, I'm going to embarrass myself here. Psychomantis. Yes. He was saying that that was, even though he hasn't, he said he hadn't played it, that was actually his inspiration for the Steam message. Quite right. Tech Raptor asked him, the bit with the fake messages from your Steam friends is genius. How did this idea come about? And he said, although I've never played Metal Gear Solid, I read about the boss battle with Psychomantis years ago and it left a strong impression on me for being hilariously unique. I realised that after having the puzzle boss, Azazel, and the battle boss, Beelzebub, I needed the uh, messes with you boss. So I started thinking, with Psychomantis in mind, what tools do I have to mess with the player? This led me to examining the Steam API, and when I learned that I had full access to the friend list, I knew what had to be done. <laughs> so the end boss, uh, the the non-true ending, the regular end boss, the first end boss, if you will, it's a kind of, uh, it's like the sort of Pony Island minigame uh, interpretation of the sort of collapsing castle cliche, the sort of, you know, run out of the the evil lair while it's exploding around you kind of thing. And so you're playing the pony shoot 'em up game, a relatively hard incarnation thereof, and the souls are flying past you. Uh, by the end of the run, I'd lost 48 souls, but I didn't know what that meant and whether the number was relevant in any way. Can anyone enlighten me on that? And how did anyone manage to get through without having any souls lost? I wasn't really sure what was rocking them up. I don't know if I was accidentally shooting them or or getting hurt was costing me souls. What, what's the deal there? 
I the only thing I can confirm is that getting hurt is what cost me souls. I noticed that when I would get hit, I think I lost like eighty some my first time. I was I was pretty I was I played pretty poorly during those sections of the game as it was. Um, anyway, um, but I had to replay a lot of the pony stages a lot because I just wasn't very good at you know navigating them. But um, I only noticed the number go up when. Um, so my only thought was maybe the souls that are trapped in the machine were the ones protecting you. So that you could finish, you know, finish the fight, for lack of a better term. I think it's that all of the all of the, you know, thousands of ponies that are escaping are are the souls trapped. And when you get hit by the kind of Satan laser that that soul, you know, continues to be trapped or is vaporized instead of escaping. Um, and, and it is, as far as I know, impossible to escape without losing any because there are times yeah. when when Satan kind of flies into the background and shoots yes. ponies that you don't have direct control over. Um, yeah. And so I don't I don't think there's actually anything to be done. It's interesting because it's like on one hand, what does 50 matter if you have a thousand? And on the other hand, those are 50 people that will be trapped <laughs> yeah. in this purgatory forever. So who knows? Was anyone else thinking of Nier Automata at oh, that point? Absolutely. Uh, without spoiling that game. Well, and and even more towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, all uh, I could, that's all I could think about when I played that game is right. that how similar that whole experience felt. And I, I, I would like to, do a little more research to, to to look to see if there is even any remote connection. I'm sure I, I, I couldn't find any mm. on surface level, but, but they felt eerily similar to one another. So do you want, you're wondering if uh platinum or Yoko Taro had actually played Pony Island. I'd like, I'd like to this... see, I mean, not that I, and I'm certainly not wow. a, being accusatory of anything. It's just, no, sure, sure. it's just so that whole feeling of um, mm. even just the racking up numbers and then and then what the game eventually suggests that you do is it's so mm. similar. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. that I, I find it. I mean, there there are pure coincidences in this world and I'm not and I'm certainly not suggesting one thing or another. I just I'd like to know if there was any influence at all. Yeah. I could imagine. I don't know if there is a Japanese language version of the game. I, I, I saw, uh, I had a look at Daniel Mullins' Twitter and he was talking about how he's uh, managed to get uh, his more recent game, The Hex, which I, again, I know very little about at this point, but I am interested in it. Uh, he's managed to get that localized into multiple languages. And, uh, and I think Pony Island is available in multiple, certainly European languages. I don't know beyond that. Whether it's playable in Japanese, I don't know. Whether, whether, Yoko Taro had just had it explained to him or something you know obviously we have no idea but it's a really interesting thought that a, a five dollar yeah. western indie game could influence a massive you know big budget big box Japanese game I like I like that idea uh, especially as this was in, inspired by uh, Metal Gear Solid so it kind of feels like the you know the closing of a circle in some ways also just before we go any further Jacob said Satan laser before and I'd like to claim that as the name of my next metal band before we get any further, because that is a great band name. Thank you, Jacob. Don't say it on a podcast, then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, better go and, um, before this show comes out, you better go and uh, get the web domain, uh, if it's not already taken. Uh, it's, gotta, it's, it's, probably, it's probably gone. So I know we've sort of brushed around this already, but I do want to just get, again, a sense from, from you chaps, if you think that... Daniel Mullins has anything meaningful to say about video games, gamers and gaming with, with Pony Island? Or if so, have you had time to kind of, I think it might be one that, you know, sort of percolates for a while. I've, I've only finished it a day or so and I'm, I'm still kind of thinking about it. But are there, do you think 
that there's actually a statement here or is it just a bunch of ideas? I think there's something, it says something valuable about the need for uh, gamers to have some sort of payoff and to mm, sort of scratch mm-hmm. an itch to get some sort of achievement for, from what you do, whether it's through the ticket system or also through the fact that you're supposed to um, delete the game to yeah. you're done in order to um, basically get rid of Lucifer according to what Hopeless Soul asks you to do. But if you yes. then uh, play the game again, you get a bit of a telling off at the beginning saying, oh, of course you wanted to go and scratch that itch and see if there's any, any more things to, to do. I also think it's it's a really good um, encapsulation of the kind of g- creepy pasta video game, which is mm-hmm. you know these these exist with kind of like a haunted cartridge of Majora's Mask or something. But there's this really fascinating idea of video games being haunted because even though we spend so much time with them, most of us truly don't understand how they work on a fundamental level. And so it's really effective to kind of imply that every video game, if you scrape away the surface, has this kind of weird system of like supports and options behind it. And and that's kind of where Pony Island lives. And so I don't I don't know if it's making a a statement with that, but it's really capitalizing on our kind of obsession with this art and technology that we don't really understand that's really interesting because my next question was about what if anything is pony island saying about christianity certainly because you've got this it turns out that actually you know this game is designed by the devil you are the lost soul of a christian crusader but what you were saying there jacob actually makes me think about my relationship with video games on a wider level and how again as a kid in the 70s and 80s these things were as good as magic to me. This, you know, they, they very much did fulfill that uh, thing that Arthur C. Clarke said about uh, technology uh, being indistinguishable from magic. Obviously, video games still resonate with kids today. Goodness knows they're, they're playing them. But I think for maybe for those of us who were there in the, the earlier days, even though things were so much more simple and rudimentary, it really did feel like it wasn't normal. It was it did feel like there was a ghost in the machine when you plugged a computer in the 80s into a TV and you could control what was on the screen, a screen that you'd only ever been passively viewing before. It was revelatory. And I think that obviously not everyone my age has the same relationship with video games as I do. But for whatever reason, my soul was completely enraptured by that idea. And although obviously I'm a, a, a... I suppose a more scientific person than I am spiritual. I don't, I don't really, I think as I get older, I'm, I'm becoming less and less spiritual. If anything, Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't see the evidence that there's, there's more to things than, than I see. And so I suppose that sort of slightly the sense of video games being something more magical, more, more, uh, more spiritual than, than they are has dissipated somewhat. But I think the, how I got here to this point of being, you know, in my mid to late forties, still gushing about video games was because of that incredible power that they, they imparted on me at a very young age. Not sure what my point was there, but it's something about, yeah, some, something about the connection between what you were saying, Jacob, and the, and the sense of this game being designed by religious entities. <laughs> 
I was thinking about this game. My my family and I we were away this past week and we were went someplace warm and nice. And I was uh, spending some time on a beach thinking about Pony Island. Uh, it made me have as many questions about myself and about video games in general as it also did about um, about Daniel Mullins. And it's none of my right. business what he himself believes and, and what he does. But I, I just I kept coming back to the thought that you don't make a giant glowing screen that says you killed Jesus without having a complicated relationship with Christianity. I, I just that's what I kept coming back to. So I'd like to kind of know what his background is and mm. how that influence and maybe what his relationship was with with christianity and 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 religion in general growing up um yeah because because i think that does say that the complicated relationship that that the you as a player have with that game the the character in the game that you're playing as theodore seems is obviously has a lot of history with christianity and and maybe it's being intentionally vague maybe it's maybe there is more meaning to it i don't think that i'll i'll ever know the answer to that but there, there does seem to be a lot bubbling under the surface there, and and I find it interesting to to think about how his experiences might have influenced how he developed the game. So, um, yeah, that's that that that'd be something I'd like to know, and I, I probably never will, and and I'm certainly not <laughs> rude enough to ask, but um, it's uh, it's all interesting to to contemplate. I'd ask him if he was on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that shocked me a bit about this game is that um, when I started seeing. Jesus, for example, it kind of underlined how distant my relationship with religion is. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. come from a religious family and um, mm. I went, had vaguely religious schooling, but I didn't go to a faith school. Um, yeah. And so when I just saw Jesus on the screen, I was like, ha ha, it's Jesus. That's <laughs> that's a figure in some religion that I don't... That character. <laughs> it's just a character. Yeah. So yeah. I... I felt like I had some sort of distance from the religious imagery, which, and also even the Satanist mm. stuff. I was just like, oh, it's, that's a theme, you know? <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's kind of yeah. underlined to me that I, I just don't really, I have a very sort of agnostic, mm. maybe even borderline atheist ig- sort of existence. Mm. Cause I just didn't mm-hmm. really, it was just a theme to the game, you know? Yeah, absolutely legitimate as well. Yeah, like uh, Charlotte, you went to school over here in England, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I guess uh, some years after I did. Certainly, all schooling in the UK was uh, was Christian, religious, uh, unless you went to a an, uh, either a non denominational or a Catholic school or something like that. So yeah, we were certainly uh, we certainly had a certain amount of indoctrination. But yeah, I decided very young that uh, I didn't really believe in any of it. That said, I am an absolute sucker for uh fiction about the devil being real i find that and 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 i guess with it that comes the um the flip side because all that stuff you know kind of sunk in um on some level um and i suppose in some ways it's the scariest idea to me that god and the devil are real rather than a comfort as it is to to many for me it's the most terrifying concept that actually there are these entities that ha- have ultimate say over over what we experience so i love a bit of possession fiction or a bit of second coming fiction uh, all that because it really it's the only stuff that really creeps me out to be honest it's the only the the only horror i really find scary now (laughs) is um is the thought of that all being actually not just a big myth (laughs) that's funny jacob you have a slightly different relationship with religion because you were brought up in a religion but not necessarily the same one but a branch of the christianity that this game addresses 
I don't want to diminish anything that, that people have have found in this or kind of like messages that they're taking from it or whatever. But for me, this was kind of the weakest part of the game because it mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it had much to say. I, I felt like it was kind of using this as as a sort of you know edgy sort of humor and that that mm-hmm. seems really patronizing and i don't i don't mean it that way because i do think i mean the moment that you killed jesus flashed on the screen i i thought was genuinely hilarious and and shocking um mm. but i i i do kind of struggle to to figure out if there's anything that that uh were meant to take away from these religious mm-hmm. themes and i I just come up kind of with nothing. Um, and so I think it's I think it's fine to to kind of theme a game around God and Satanism and as these things, because they're such common cultural touchstones that we all have a pre-existing yeah. relationship with them. But of of all the kind of like interesting takes on games and design and players, I don't actually think that the religious parts of this game come out quite as well for me well let's return to that quote that i i read at the beginning from the tech raptor piece where daniel mullen said i took great inspiration from the binding of isaac in the way it used christian christian demonology to create a creepy mysterious atmosphere so he's mainly saying there you know obviously there may be more to it but in that quote he's actually saying that he enjoyed somebody else's work, which had similar themes and incorporated them. Now, I believe we understand that Ed McMillan and The Binding of Isaac is somewhat uh, a twisted semi-autobiographical piece based on his upbringing with a religious, uh, in a religious household. Um, so this is almost, if anything, it's, uh, you know, it's secondhand potentially. Uh, although, as I say, we can't say for sure. But there are these, as I say, there are these... Um, you know the 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 little vignettes, the little moments where you see outside the game, uh, and as if you're seeing through three, Theodore's eyes. I assume is the idea, um, but I, I'm not sure. I I wasn't sure exactly how to again how to piece those together as part of the overall narrative. Did anyone have a a better handle on that than I did? No, <laughs> I don't, guess not. This this might be a bit flippant of me to say, but I don't know how you could really make a. Um, a very concrete, solid point about Christianity over the course of an extremely short game. It seems a bit too ambitious, really, to make something really mm. coherent and in-depth. Especially when he's obviously also tackling all these other uh, sort of bits and bobs about meta and video gaming and Yeah, and exactly. Um, it was mm. something we actually talked about on the Braid episode of Cain and Rince, um last year uh, regarding how uh, Jonathan Blow talked about that game and there were a uh-huh. lot of statements that indicated there may have been something beneath the surface, but no real clear indicator of what it actually all meant. Yeah. The, the greater conversation being that, well, maybe it, maybe there was no greater meaning to it all. It was just an, some interesting things to put in as a, as a reason to make the thing, but mm. it didn't really have anything much larger to say. And, and this could certainly be that, too. Um, so it, it would be interesting, especially after you referencing that quote about what he said about Binding of Isaac, it, it seems that maybe it was just, hey, this is a 
this is a good way to create some creepy feeling and then kind of, you know, just it could have kind of been just born out of that. I mean, there's, I guess there's, aside from hearing it from him, there's no real way to know. Daniel, if you're listening, come and tell <laughs> us. Mr. Ixalite from the forums says, By the time I played Undertale, I'd been playing games for almost 25 years. It was a total revelation and revealed a craving I didn't know I had. Games about games. This is what made me seek out Pony Island. But even so, I was gleefully surprised by how many rugs it could pull out from under me. I'd never experienced anything like it, and though you could uncharitably call it a point-and-click puzzle adventure in fancy clothing, it successfully created the illusion that I was not playing a game as much as poking around its innards. Plus, the game's theme struck a chord with me. I'm embarrassed to say, but I saw a bit of myself in Lucifer's handling of the creative process. A refusal to accept constructive criticism of a work, combined with craving the approval of others for said work. The devil wants you to make a good game people will love, but love it the way he intended, damn it. But the truth is that sometimes you do need someone else to come in and switch the pony lasers on. I find that the satanic premise, though making for a highly memorable visual identity, doesn't quite gel with the main narrative. If the game badgers you for your soul in exchange for an escape from Pony Island's tedium, isn't Lucifer acknowledging that his game is bad? And if it's a digital torture device, wouldn't he want you playing the game in perpetuity? And apparently you died in the distant past and are now playtesting an arcade machine? Ultimately, it's not the law which makes me return to the game, but a quest for the elusive hidden tickets to see just how much trickery Dan Mullins has hidden away. Yeah, so I guess uh, Mr. Ixalite didn't quite manage to piece together why Theodore is has been roped into this. But I do I do think he makes a good point about the... Uh, the creative process um, and how often uh, create very creative people you hear about it with directors and and sort of the leaders of musical bands are often the most uh, kind of in unmalleable people in some ways um, in in the sense that they have a vision and and they want their their people to to run with it but they also they also want people to enjoy the thing they're making and sometimes you need to kind of not focus group stuff exactly, but but certainly get a sense that what you're doing isn't completely going to alienate absolutely everybody. The 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 age old balance between, you know, the the piece that you're creating, wanting it to be of merit both as a piece, but also as something that people will actually engage with. Tickets and how to get them. Uh, so we've already mentioned a few times these tickets. I think there's one right on the title screen, possibly even. Um, there there's twenty four of them. Hidden away in the game, I only got, I think, about seven or eight on my first playthrough. So about a third. Uh, I have no idea how some of these... I, I imagine in some ways this is one of the most interesting elements of the game is actually finding them. Or are they all just pixel hunts? Are there some crafty ones? No, I thought a few of them were, were pretty neat. Um, I've kind of viewed them as rewards just for engaging for longer periods of time in the points of the in parts of the game that didn't progress the story. like. Pony Galaxy, yeah. the the up, you know, the, the lateral shmup you can play on the desktop yeah. the first time you get there. If you get fifty, 50 yeah. points on that, you get a okay. ticket. And there's other like areas in adventure mode where you've explored a little bit off the map, you get a ticket. A couple of them are just pixel hunts. Um, 
A couple are kind of hidden within programs. There'll be another little puzzle in there. It, interesting. Some of them are, are really difficult to find. I never would have found on my own for sure. By, mm. And by some of them, I mean uh, almost half of them now that I think about right. it. But uh, but yeah, no, and it was interesting for me. And this kind of goes back to the conversation we were having before about video games and video game players is, you know, I I like the extra thing to give you a reason to go back and look for it. So so that was more what it served for me. It was just kind of a way to see a little bit more of the game. And so if you do get all the tickets by the end of the regular game, you get to have a final showdown with the Hopeless Soul, which I kind of saw coming. It did seem like there's there's a there's a real tradition of the the character that helped you all along actually being the ultimate final boss. Uh, as I said, the phase, the first phase actually allows you to play the regular pony game. But now suddenly you can use A and D to move laterally. The second phase is based on that shmup that uh, Brian just mentioned. And the third phase is a revisitation of the very difficult to gauge your position 3D game. Um, but now you've got pony lasers in 3D. Uh, so what does this what does this all mean? What what does what does how does this change the ending if you do this? I think it's interesting that the the hopeless soul doesn't really it's not like he's suddenly evil. He's just like, oh, I get it. You want a final boss. Well, here's That's a final it. boss. And then like <laughs> does all this stuff. And so it's it is it is kind of what we were mentioning earlier of just kind of like playing with our expectations of like, mm. well, I suppose you want a big confrontation after you've found all the secrets. So here you go. You know, even if this doesn't fit in the story, I know what gamers like. And it's this. Um, and so I think it's I think it's kind of. Uh, fun and and goofy enough that it doesn't it doesn't feel essential but it is also a nice reward for getting all of these extra things even after you beat you you beat the final boss he the hopeless soul just kind of goes back to the way he looked for he's like well that's it yeah there's nothing more (laughs) no big reveal no anything so please delete the game now (laughs) that was pretty much all yeah Well, just we'll talk about that, but we just I want to talk about the Steam achievements. So the game has Steam achievements because it's on Steam. I don't know if it's mandatory. I don't think it's not like necessarily the Microsoft and and uh, Sony platforms where you have to have trophies and achievements uh, to a t- you know to a certain level. But the Steam achievements in this game, quite a few of them are to do with just progressing the story. Getting your first ticket is the most commonly held one with nearly ninety percent of gamers. Then as you go through the story. Breaching the the third core file, only 51% of gamers have done that. Escaping the arcade, 50%. And then it drops down. Um, interestingly, the, even, even finding as few as uh, seven tickets, only 38% of uh, players have done that. And finding all 24 tickets is just 7%, with learning the full truth about your past is under 6% of all people who have played Pony Island. So I guess a lot of people are left uh, not knowing the truth or looking it up. <laughs> as we've done or going through with a guide and becoming the ticket master i suppose i wonder if i was thinking i wonder if daniel mullins could have done something more interesting and creative with the steam achievement in the same way that he kind of mucked around with the with our expectations of the steam client i don't know if it would there be like um restrictions on doing that because if you let that um be too open um Sorry, I might be talking absolute nonsense here, but I think that being able to, to, yeah, yeah, exactly. It it would open the the way for people to be able to, um, you know, oh my, I can't, I can't talk about this without sounding like I I know absolutely nothing about computers, but like being able to, to use that knowledge to then get 
spam achievements that they haven't actually achieved. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yes, at the end, whether you've got the proper ending or the regular one, as most people will have got, because they won't have got all 24 tickets, the Hopeless Soul asks you to free him by uninstalling the game. Uh, this does, again, I can't, I can't really talk about another show that we've done because we've been told off for spoiling the wrong games before, <laughs> games that we're not covering. So I won't mention that. But I, ins- I uninstalled the game. Uh, I did, as he said. Again, even though I knew, obviously, I had there was I know the hopeless soul isn't real. I know that uninstalling the game doesn't free anyone, although on a very meta level, it kind of does because he's no longer installed on my computer. Um, But uh, Brian, you said you went back in and you replayed the game. But Charlotte and Jacob, did you uninstall the game as requested or did you keep it installed for research purposes? I uninstalled it. But what was kind of disappointing is that when I reinstalled it to play it, I think it must be to do with um, the save system. But um, I I got the the ability to um, go to Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, even though I'd uninstalled it. So it hadn't wiped any of my data by uninstalling it. So that kind of ruined the effect a little bit, but that might be to do with my own personal settings. I'm not quite sure. Well, Steam automatically saves to the cloud, so... Yeah, yeah. that's probably it. Yeah, I I uninstalled pretty much immediately and and haven't been back. It just kind of felt like... All right, this is this is the end of the game. I'll 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 see it through, um, and yeah, I, I it was it wasn't a hard choice. I don't I didn't didn't really feel like I was going to go back to it, um, but it was a neat little capstone. Well, I'm I'm the only monster. Then it seems <laughs> this time, Brian, yeah. you're the monster. But uh, but actually, you 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 know you also did the most research, so you're also the hero. Oh yes, yeah, that's that's. Why I did it for sure, research purposes. <laughs> it's <laughs> Steam achievements that you don't care about. That's right. <clears throat> it's very quick to reinstall, of course, because it's uh, it's very really quite a small file. Yeah, I am sort of interested to go back and and get all the tickets, but uh, but time probably dictates that I have other things to play for the show. Simon Sloth from the forum posts. Pony Island reminds me of my childhood. Not that my upbringing has anything to do with ponies, jumping or Beelzebub. The game harkens back to a time where Hollywood loved to tell us if you read a book in a creepy attic or played a game in the middle of the night past your bedtime, that your actions might have far reaching consequences. The never ending story, war games, The Last Starfighter, Tron, etc. There are plenty of examples, but these spring to mind. To me, they were fascinating and I always dreamed of this happening to me. So on a cold, blustery winter's night, I found myself snowed in, trapped in an abandoned house in the middle of nowhere. I stumbled across an old dusty desktop PC running Windows 3.1 and decided unwisely perhaps to click on the single icon named Pony Island. The lights were off with only the dim glow of the aging screen for company. As I played I rekindled that 80s magic and had this odd sneaking suspicion that I was affecting the world as we knew it. Okay so in reality it was nippy, I was with my wife and son, there was a bit of frost, I had a sat nav, a laptop and I'm an adult who is aware that video games are fiction. However, it gave me that feeling of being one of those 80s characters I was jealous of. It's a rare feeling. Pony is the quintessential concept game pitching its tent in the same camp as Frog Fractions and Undertale. Similar to those games, it delights in toying with you, altering the mechanics and gameplay subtly, then radically. Unlike, say, Frog Fractions, which does similar deceptive tricks that felt wacky, this feels far more sinister. 
Overall, it's an enjoyable, interesting one-off experience that I will not go back to. Once you know the tricks up its sleeve, the magic is largely lost, but they are very clever tricks indeed. Thank you, folks. Uh, sadly, we didn't get nearly as much uh, as many three-word reviews. I guess a lot of people haven't played this game. But Mr. Ixalite says, sympathy for devil. That's it for your three-word reviews. Follow us on Twitter at Canerince. So time for us to summarise. How could we encapsulate our feelings and our experience of this uh, this little interesting $5 game? And would we recommend that people seek it out for themselves and play it on their ancient, dusty Windows machine, PC or Mac via Steam? Uh, let's start with Brian. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend for most people to pick this up. It's, it's a unique experience. I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I uh, started playing it. Like I alluded to before, my affinity for point-and-click adventure games and text adventures, um, this scratched an itch like that, that that hadn't really been scratched in a while. So I, I really found myself kind of sprinting through it, which maybe isn't the, isn't the best way to, to go about it, but I, I wanted to see all that it had to offer. So do agree with the things we talked about, that maybe some of the themes and a deeper meaning of the game might be a little shallow, might not... It might not know itself what it means. It might be more complicated than I, I myself can suss out. But um, after hearing uh, Jacob's, Charlotte's, and, and yours, Leon, comments on it, I, it makes me think about it a little more. So it'll, it'll be a game I continue to think about fondly, and I'll recommend to anybody who, who hasn't gone through it before. So it was actually uh, for in, in a world filled with 80-hour epics with an unending amount of drip-fed content every day, um, it was nice to play what I consider to be a very tight and controlled experience that that um, mm. really felt like an efficient use of my time. And one to ruminate on. Thanks, Brian. Charlotte, how about you? So I would definitely recommend Pony Island. Um, it feels very experimental, though, and that it's trying to do a lot with its messaging that it doesn't quite pull off. And also, you're not going to want to play Pony Island if you're looking for the most technically perfect game indie game that's out there i would say though because it's you know by its definition a quick and cheap game that it would always be sort of worth playing but to be honest it, it kind of does have quite a few misfires however it's it's all worth it for the shock tactics that it uses um so the steam uh, message thing mm. was really jarring and probably one of the most memorable moments of gaming for me so far this year. Wow. Having said that, though, you know, if if you've listened to this episode and you know what's coming, it might not be <laughs> as, um, as you know, much of a shock, but it's still probably worth playing through it as to, to learn what tricks it has up its sleeve and how it fits into the pattern of other games that do similar things. For example, Frog Fractions and Doki Doki Literature Club. I would also recommend playing through Pony Island. It's, uh, it's an interesting game for sure it's uh, there's more to it than meets the eye that's certain um i would say i was slightly disappointed that it didn't didn't all kind of come together and hang together with what appears to be a coherent message at the end it does appear to be a piece that's come from uh, a set of ideas that don't quite intermingle but actually they do complement each other but there's no there's no actual thesis there's no final sort of word on what Daniel Mullins is saying with Pony Island. And I don't, you know, I don't think there has to be in every game, but I think when your game is mainly uh, a mixture of two mini games of debatable quality, personally, I thought the Pony stuff was 
mediocre. The puzzle programming stuff was good. The third sort of tranche of the stuff in between the games was perhaps the most interesting. Uh, but actually, I spent more time puzzling out the, the programming. So there's, there's, I think there's enough worthwhile game here. And maybe, maybe we've just all missed the point. Maybe, the, maybe it does all come together perfectly. And actually, we just haven't got it between us. Um, I would be interested, I'd be really interested to read from anyone in the community who's played this through, maybe got all the tickets, got all the full ending and has a kind of coherent start to finish explanation of what is going on with Theodore, the 12th century crusader, and the devil and the arcade game and and the hopeless soul and the relationship between all those things and the meta of the video game that is Pony Island. If anyone's got that all wrapped up into a nice, neat bundle, then I would be fascinated. Even if the author hasn't, it would be an interesting sort of interpretation to see if that exists. But in short, as a $5 game, if you have a PC or Mac that can run it, then absolutely, why not check it out? It's a uh, Good, uh, good one session game as well, one and done, and um, you'll have something to cogitate about afterwards. Let's finish with Jacob. I think that Pony Island is a game that um, almost everyone would enjoy. I would, I would rarely feel like hesitation in recommending it, but I can't imagine it being anyone's favorite game. It is a collection of often really neat tricks. Um, but when I think about my my favorite games in this kind of weird little subgenre, if that's Undertale or or even, you know, something like the Beginner's Guide or the Stanley Parable, these kind of games about games, there's always this emotional core. And that's kind of what resonates with me. And even if Pony Island is actually a puzzle box that you can figure out and you can you can piece together how all of these kind of disparate elements fit. I don't think there's really that kind of emotionality anywhere in it. It really feels like it's just a game that enjoys messing with you. And I enjoyed being messed with while I was mm. playing it. And that's about it. And so I really had no when it asked me to uninstall it, I was like, Yep, that's fine with me because I really don't think I'm going to go back to Pony Island because I've seen its tricks and and that's kind of all it has to offer. So I think it's a really neat one playthrough game, but I I don't think it's really going to linger in the memory because looking back, I don't think that that's what we cling on to. Thanks, Jacob. Mostly positive, slightly mixed. Anyway, uh, it's four pounds in English money. Uh, or they, the equivalent wherever you are. So if you fancy checking it out, if it's piqued your interest, then do so. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Charlotte and Jacob, as well as our correspondents, editor Ryan, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you enjoy all the stuff that we produce, do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, especially if it's uh, Apple or iTunes. We like a rating or a review because that helps us in the charts there, which are still the kind of number one metric by which people would likely discover us. And reviews and ratings actually feed into our chart position. So it's really handy and helpful. Patreon.com slash Kana Rinse Best of All, though. Just a dollar a month gets you extended week early shows. Extended not always, but on many occasions. And also an exclusive monthly show. You get our single format special console podcast three months early. And our undying love next time in issue 367 very doomed